On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, part one of our look back at the Calgary Cannons, who took the field for the very first time 35 years ago this month. Welcome to episode 86 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. They were a major piece of Alberta's baseball scene for 18 seasons. The Calgary Cannons occupied Foothill Stadium from 1985 to 2002, bringing AAA baseball to southern Alberta, featuring affiliations with the Seattle Mariners, Pittsburgh Pirates, Chicago White Sox, and Florida Marlins. The city was able to see the likes of Danny Tartable, Edgar Martinez, Omar Vizquel, Brett Boone, Alex Rodriguez, and many, many other future major leaguers come through. Believe it or not, the arrival of the Cannons to Calgary was 35 years ago this month. To mark the occasion, we've been doing a little research and found it was quite the bumpy ride for Russ Parker and company. Calgary's Mr. Baseball not only had to figure out what to do with his Pioneer League Expos, but trying to buy the Salt Lake City Gulls was the equivalent of a hitter fouling off a few pitches to stay alive in a lengthy at-bat. And then there was simply making their debut at Foothills, which was delayed several days thanks to old man Winter getting in the way. One of the people in Parker's inner circle heading into that April 19, 1985 debut, which actually didn't happen until April 22nd, was Mark Steven. The broadcaster worked as the Cannons' public relations guru and took a pretty famous picture in the snow with California-born infielder Paul Serna, who was seeing the depth of winter for the very first time. We talked about that and much more. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, great to reminisce what is now uh, 35 or so years ago, huh? Unbelievable to think that far back. And and I know you were in the initial stages part of the inner circle. And I wanted to know, as an outsider to begin with, did it take you by surprise at all that there was an effort being made to bring AAA baseball to Calgary, given that they already had Rookie League here? No, it didn't, and I'll tell you why. You mentioned Rookie League, but uh, the issue with Calgary in Rookie League baseball is uh, Calgary was as big as the rest of the cities in the league combined, and I think it was always in the back of the mind of uh, Russ Parker to find a way to get AAA baseball here and you know uh, show what Calgary could do with some of the bigger cities, you know, Las Vegas, Portland, uh, Albuquerque, big cities like that in the West that Calgary could be as uh, important as them. So I think it had always been in the back of their mind. Now, a lot of obstacles had to be overcome. You A, had to find a franchise and B, get a better stadium. But uh, they went through all of that. But I think it was always... Once, uh, you know, the Parkers were able to show that Calgary was on the map and had a professional baseball heritage, they were always going to gun for AAA. But it was one of those aspirational goals that uh, eventually was realized. Do you think that there was a little bit of added pressure on Calgary, given that their neighbors to the north, that bitter rivalry, the Battle of Alberta, already had a AAA franchise for the four years previous? Well, partly, I'm sure there's some of that, but uh, truthfully, I think you got to thank the folks that brought the Edmonton Trappers there because I think it paved the way and uh, opened uh, some eyes that there was uh, a Canadian city or two outside of Vancouver. Vancouver had a long heritage, but it's just across the border. But, uh, you know, Calgary and Edmonton were certainly two cities that I don't think were on anybody's radar, at least initially. But when the Trappers uh, moved from Ogden, Utah, I think that paved the way for Calgary. And I'm sure there was a little bit of incentive to uh, get another franchise 
franchise uh, to Alberta in Calgary. But, you know, I think you got to thank the uh, Edmonton Trappers. But uh, there was an element of rivalry for sure because they uh, had their franchise one year longer than uh, the Cannons were around. Now, the Cannons came out of the ashes of the Salt Lake City Gulls. And I know that that process and doing some research was kind of bumpy from time to time, to say the very least. Knowing Russ the way you do, was it tough on him to have to deal with the ups and downs and and unknowns around bringing that franchise to Calgary in the first place? Oh, it certainly was. I mean, he went in there to the meetings with all the enthusiasm in the world, but there was... uh... In bankruptcy, there was a bunch of lawsuits for unpaid bills, and there was a real legal thicket to walk through. And he told me he was in a meeting listening to all of it and going back and forth about what needed to be done here and uh, what was going on here. He said, guys, I need a break. And he just walked around the block, uncertain if he was going to pursue it when he went back in, but it it cleared his head and he just said, you know what, this is something I'm pursuing. I'm just going to have to tough it out. But it was was far from uh, just write a check and bring a team north. There was a lot of legal issues surrounding the team. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a a tough decision and uh, somebody had to tough it out. And he did in the some legal circumstances not just on the legal front as well by the sounds of things from a city hall perspective it wasn't real easy either some things never change do they so (laughs) there you go Uh, no it was a bit of a battle to get uh you know foothill stadium upgraded i i think uh city council didn't fully appreciate uh, the fact that there were some enormous stadiums being built in other centers and, uh, you know, they just figured a few extra seats here and there for Foothill slash Burns would do the job. Obviously, it was, uh, you know, a nice upgrade, but uh, it was uh, just a case of trying to convince people that it actually was going to be, you know, seven, nine, ten thousand people that might show up for a baseball game. It turned out that happened, but it was uh, a bit of a tough sell for sure. So they got a renovated uh, stadium. It probably was good timing because the original version of Foothills was uh, starting to show its age. Uh, so they needed an upgrade and uh, they got one. But you're It wasn't uh, the easiest sell of all. And that was one of the challenges, too, is without that deal in place to make some renovations at Foothills, it was a real tough sell to convince uh, Major League Baseball clubs to even invest in some sort of player development contract. And I know the Mariners at one point were were kind of balking at the idea. Yep, exactly. Uh, You know, it's... uh... You know, I guess truthfully, when you add it up, one of the sort of story arcs of the Cannons for their entire time in the league was the stadium issues, but that was one of them, and you're right. Uh, you know, you're sending players, and you want to make sure they're in uh, good conditions and uh, playing in appropriate circumstances, so it was an issue to make sure that it was up to uh, standards, and obviously they got done what they wanted to get done, at least at the start, but uh, you're right. It was certainly an issue because, remember, these guys, uh, you know, one day they're uh, perhaps whether they're home or visiting players, you know, they're in Dodger Stadium or the then Kingdom and they're coming back here. I mean, yes, it's a step down in, uh, you know, caliber or classification, but it shouldn't be uh, a dive off the cliff in terms of facilities. And uh, that's something that they had to face. The Mariners were thought of as being the front runner from the onset, but Russ always kind of hinted at three or four or five other teams that might have been interested. Do you know who those other teams were? Well, I'll give you one. They wore a tri-colored hat of the Montreal Expos <laughs> and, and the Blue Jays, if they were around. He's been a Giants fan, although they had a long relationship. But uh, no, as far as the other ones, 
Uh, I wasn't sure of who they were, but Seattle came right to the fore. They had to find a place. They were already there in Salt Lake, so it made a lot of sense to transfer and uh, just come north. But yeah, I think uh, all things being equal, and they weren't, but all things being equal, the Expos would have been here. But uh, great dream just uh, never came to pass. So a lot of the the ebbs and flows of that year, 84 to 85, lead up to April of 1985. And what was the energy like around Calgary as that anticipation started to grow that hey we have not major league baseball but the next best thing oh it was very exciting i mean season tickets were uh, flying off the shelves it was uh, you know great excitement people were just walking into the office and say give me a couple there they wanted them so season tickets were flying off at a good pace just the general buzz about who the team was what was going on with the team uh both daily sent people down to uh, do stories on the team. And uh, no, it was a great deal of excitement, a huge bit of anticipation because it had built up over the winter. The stadium was being built as you drove by, you could see it. And then uh, just the general excitement and novelty of having a brand new team. It was a really interesting philosophy by the sounds of it when it comes to the Mariners because they were set on building from within, kind of like the Blue Jays had over the previous years leading into 92-93. The Mariners were kind of expecting the same sort of thing and were not necessarily looking to Calgary to be the place to dump you know, those aging out veterans. They were hoping Calgary was the stepping stone for a lot of really young talent, and that's what they traded Calgary like. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, there was a lot of players that came through that had big league careers uh, that were here. I mean, uh, Danny Tartable's the best known, but there were lots of players that uh, became members of the Mariners. I mean, later years, it was Tino Martinez, uh, Mickey Brantley, uh, you know, was on the path to stardom, but uh, they also drafted a center fielder a couple of years later named Ken Griffey, and that took care of that. Uh, I guess that what I would say is there was a lot of good uh, dependable, regular major league players here and sort of high-end AAA players, but very few stars that they were hoping to develop. And uh, I guess that was the story of the Mariners, truthfully, for uh, much of their history, but especially in their first uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 years. I mean, they came in with the Blue Jays and never had a 500 season until 91. So you can see they weren't uh, exactly uh, grinding out uh, tons of high-end talent they had some and some of it went through here but uh there were you know the cannons were largely uh, uh they had good players but were they good major league players in many cases uh didn't work out going back to april of 85 obviously a lot of eyes were on the cannons for a couple of weeks as well because they were on the road for the first couple of weeks yeah. what was it like trying to build that anticipation while also trying to do it from a distance while uh the team was away from the friendly confines of foothills I think there was enough. As I say, uh, the games were uh, broadcast. Uh, both dailies were there, uh, you know, in constant conversation. So it was uh, it was pretty exciting. I think people were just really dying to meet the players, see who was who, and uh, see this thing that had been talked about for so long and so much discussion about it. And here they were all ready to crank it up and play at home. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of excitement. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't too tough to keep up the excitement because a lot of people uh, were really thirsty to find out what was going on with the team and what was coming north and then april 19th rolls around and you look outside and you see basically what you see today snow on the ground a lot of snow what was it like from your standpoint sitting in that room with russ and uh, the managerial team trying to figure out what to do next well, just to go back one day prior, April 18th was about 18 degrees outside. So it really changed and changed abruptly. And it was 
not very nice. I think everybody was pretty uh, bummed out. All of the forecasts were accurate. I got to say that. So it wasn't a complete shot, but it was very disappointing. I mean, here you are, you put all that energy and effort in and you look outside and it was barely above freezing a little bit below and it was just uh, covered everywhere. It just, were, you know, it was pretty deflating, but uh, you know, you realize that you had to deal with these at one time or another. You just didn't think it was going to be right at the start, but uh, yeah, it was tough. You're out there shoveling a lot and uh, putting the tarp on and uh, making maintaining the field because uh, you had to do it under those conditions. And, you know, the uh, 19th and 20th were, there was just no progress. It was cold. It was uh, no chance of anything melty whatsoever. They had to find a facility for the team to go work out in, and that wasn't particularly easy. So uh, it was tough. It was not not a lot of fun, uh, a little disappointment, but uh, you couldn't let it defeat you either. Like you said, there was a little bit of fun involved, including what's become a bit of a viral photo every year around this time. Yourself and Paul Cerna. Talk a little bit about that atmosphere around telling some of these players and showing some of these players snow for the very first time. Well, he was one of them. He was uh, from Southern California, right near the uh, Mexican border. So snow to him was uh, totally foreign. And it was uh, not something that was in the mindset of a lot of the guys. I mean, some it was, of course. Uh, but uh, no, a lot of the guys didn't uh, really have any experience with snow. He was one of them. I remember Tate going over on the field when that picture was taken. I said, what do you think of this? And he just was staring at it all. They couldn't believe a, a baseball field could be so white. But uh, there it was. So you just had to smile about it. I mean, there wasn't much you could do about it about it uh, except watch it fall and hope that it melted and uh, shovel some off but uh, he was uh, certainly the most he got a lot of attention for that actually mm. because he had never seen snow other guys may have you know had limited experience but he just never seen it period except uh, on television did you get the sense that any of the players were sitting there going what in the heck are we doing here oh yeah I'm sure they did, uh, you know, but uh, the reality is they came from Salt Lake, which is not known as a tropical paradise either. And I'm sure they saw snow there uh, in prior years. Uh, but yeah, I'm a little frustration with it, uh, you know, complaining about it. But uh, I'm not surprised. It was, uh, you know, they left the confines. Their prior game was in Las Vegas, where it was around, you know, 80 degrees every day. And they came to this. So there's a little uh, disappointment and some guys that wondered what exactly they were getting themselves into. So what's the planning like as you're trying to take it day by day and trying to figure out when exactly you're going to be able to have that first home game? Well, two things, lots of contact with the weather office, I can tell you that. Uh, they became our best friends, uh, talking to them constantly and trying to find out uh, when there was any hope at all for anything to happen and, you know, if the weather was ever going to break in their favor. And, uh, you know, those times happen, but uh, a lot of times with that. And uh, then you just have to be prepared, understanding that when the okay is given, it's probably going to be on pretty short notice because, you know, you're going to take as much time as you need to prepare the field. So, and then that was the other disappointment thing a lot of stuff and time and energy had been uh, put into you know uh, getting the field up to standard and all of a sudden as you're ready to play a huge dump of snow came and kind of negated some of the work so that was it but as I say I would say uh, the number one thing was uh, spending a lot of time talking to the weather office just to get any uh, change in the forecast and uh, on this particular occasion on that particular weekend they were completely 100% accurate Paint us a picture of the field April 22nd. Well, by then, some of the snow had started to melt. Uh, the Sunday, or the day before, I lose track of these days, it got to about three or four degrees, which, you know, isn't ideal, but mm. it's uh, at least allowed for some melting. And then... Um, 
on the, the day of, uh, it did start to get a little nicer. It was about eight or nine, and then the sun was out, so it was better. Not great, but better. And the sun started to melt, and uh, as I heard a knock on the door outside, and uh, I went and opened it. This is in the office. And it was one of the umpires that came in, and uh, he said, oh, I was just on the field. I said, what do you think? He said, hey, you know what? We'll play. It's, per- it's a perfect note, but we're going to play. So that was at roughly noon, and we, you know, we still weren't sure if we were going to play, and the game was scheduled for uh, five. So, uh, you know, not a lot of time to just announce the game was on, but uh, it was, you know, better. But as I say, it was far from perfect, but, uh, you know, the conditions were there, and uh, once the umpire said we're ready to go, I just, uh, you know, told some other people in the office and went downstairs uh, over to the clubhouse, and uh, away we went. What was it like standing on the concourse, finally realizing that, hey, we're going to get a game in here finally? Well, it's pretty exciting. I was in the press box doing a couple of things, and I looked out, and you could see the crowd beginning to build as we hadn't opened the gates yet. But, the, you know, there's that walkway up there. It goes up to the parking lot, and it was starting to fill up more and more and more. And suddenly it hit me and said, wow, they're just waiting for the gates to be open. And uh, we are now officially in business. Here we go. So it's really exciting to see that. And uh the gates did open, and uh, away everybody came in to see the game. It was really exciting. And then you have the pomp and circumstance. Russ gets to throw out the first pitch, all that kind of thing. What was it like as far as finally getting first pitch thrown out and, and a game actually getting to be underway? Well, it was exciting. Um, the crowd started to ooh and ah at the first a few pitches that were thrown. It was uh, the guy that was on the mound, a guy named Bob Stoddard, uh, right-hand pitcher. He sort of was one of those you call him 4A guys. He probably was uh, a little bit advanced for uh, the AAA level, but never stuck at the major league level. But he was a homegrown Mariner. He's actually from Seattle. Uh, also came up through the system. So they wanted to test him and give him every chance. The crowd started to ooh and ah. I guess I was a little surprised by that. I mean, yes, it is AAA baseball. It's not the big leagues, but, uh, you know, it's not like these guys are, uh, you know, 14 years old mm-hmm. either. They're, you know, they are uh, – big league or many of them have been in the big league so uh you know it was a little bit of awe at how good the baseball was and uh away it went and uh he was the first pitcher to throw the uh first ball at uh, foothills slash burn stadium any particular memories stick out to you in that first game that first week as things were getting uh finally underway well, uh, for, as I say, beyond the excitement of uh, opening the gates for the first time, which was just amazing, I mean, that first night, because other games have been postponed, we're scheduled to play a doubleheader, but by the end of the game, it was turning nasty cold. I mean, I, the wind was about 16, 17 Ks, and it was about 3 degrees, so I meant it was below freezing out there, and uh, the umpires just said, no, we're not going to play this game, so that was canceled. I think there was another postponement in the week, but it got a little bit better during the course of the week. I don't want to say it was very nice, but uh, it got a little better, enough to get the games in, and uh, it was just good to get that out of the way, because part of the issue, too, in addition to, you know, the the inevitable bumps of putting a team and an entity together for the first time was just the fact that, uh, you know, you had to fight the weather and the fields. It was really, really tough. So it was a lot of, you know, uh, being pulled in many directions. Uh, once that first homestand was in, though, I think uh, it was really exciting and rewarding to see what had happened. And obviously it set the bar for the next 18 seasons in Calgary with the Cannons. What did it mean to you to be a part of that? What did it mean to that front office to to finally set the wheels in motion on such a big dream? 
Oh, it was very exciting. Uh, everybody was extremely excited. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we'd spent months sort of planning and talking about it and uh, discussing and say, here's what might happen and uh, watch for this and be ready for this and we can do this. And all of a sudden we were doing it and it was right in front of us. So it was very, very exciting. Uh, you know, there were some things learning as you go through that first homestand. We had some meetings to make sure we did things uh, differently and, you know, gathered feedback uh, from the first homestand. Then we got into it and uh, away we went uh, for a, quite a successful first season, even made the playoffs and uh, carried on for the next uh, 18 years, as you say, with, uh, you know, the uh, team in the city. And uh, it was quite exciting and, uh, you know, disappointing every time I drive by the stadium and see that it's empty and the pier's ready to fall down any day. But uh, here's where we are. I've got at least a legacy to talk about. Whether it was being involved with the organization itself or whether it was covering the organization later on, do you have any favorite memories of those 18 years of Cannons baseball? Well, beyond the first game, of course, that's number one. Um, probably a couple of them, I guess, stand out. Uh, there was a playoff game or a game to get into the playoffs. They had to win. The place was full and a pinch hitter, Kevin Roberson came up and hit a pinch hit grand slam. I mean, those are extremely rare and I put the team in the playoffs and that was really, really loud. It was just bedlam in that stadium, but just uh, as exciting as all get out. So that was really good. Um, the first Canada day that we were there had fireworks and it was so full, we put people roped off part of the outfield to put people out there. As if that wasn't crazy enough, the game went 16 innings. Mm -hmm. So guess what? It's about 1.30 in the morning. You got all these fireworks sitting there. So what do you do with them? Shoot them off. So <laughs> that, that caused a, <laughs> got some calls on that, uh, not only from residents, but uh, from the city as well. So there you go. Uh, those were some, uh, obviously, you know, many other great moments and games, but the last game as well, uh, when, uh, you know, the, they were down to their last inning, they were behind Edmonton. I think it was by four runs or something. Anyway, the crowd got so berserk. It was almost a hockey or football style roar. Uh, I think it really rattled Edmonton to be brutally honest. And they just were throwing the ball around uh, a couple of errors. The pitchers couldn't find the plate. And the Cannons, on an errant throw to first, ended up uh, winning the game as the winning run came across. And that was about as wild as it was. But then very quickly, the uh, sober reality set in. But that's one of the times that I'd say the crowd was, uh, I think they really rattled Edmonton. They had no clue. They never played in front of a sort of, a, as I say, a hockey or, or football-style crowd like that. Baseball, you know, uh, they don't have those kind of moments. Uh, uh, but this was one for an entire uh, half inning that just rattled them. So those would be uh, some of the many highlights. Oh, the memories. And we could go on for days, I'm sure. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast and sharing just some of the memories from that first year. Well, glad. Glad you called. Glad we uh, can reminisce about those days. Uh, wish I could say there's more of those days in the future, but uh, I guess we'll just have to wait for a while. Thanks again to Mark Stephen for joining us this week, and thanks to all of you for downloading, listening, and waxing a little nostalgic about the Canons. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get the podcast because we will have a part two of this special look back next week featuring a couple of players from that 1985 team who went on to bigger things. Also stay tuned to albertadugoutstories.com as we're working on a full story about the arrival of the Canons. Until then, thank you for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.